0: Hello, good morning, good afternoon. Um, This is Eli Hansen. I'm uh, reporting to you from beautiful San Francisco, driving in my car here, uh, getting ready to cross the Bay Bridge over to the East Bay, over to Oakland. Um, I am Working today uh, as an art handler, moving, transporting art, um, picking it up, meeting the art handling company at the gallery, helping them load a truck, go to another gallery, load some more art. Um, now I'm heading over to the East Bay to do some more of that. i gotta, I got to head there first. I gotta pack some stuff up and then the other people are meeting me over there at which point we'll put that art piece into a truck um, the particulars of art handling and art transport um, another, another full craft right there uh, far as boxing up the art, um, wrapping it in cardboard or plastic or glassine, depending on the actual object, um, shadow boxing, building crates, um, and then the whole transporting and like labeling system and inventory I mean it's basic packing and shipping distribution stuff but there's always like peculiarities of art it's all fairly slow and methodical um because usually the the goods are so expensive so it's like you know packing and shipping but with an extra layer of care and precision. So, uh um, oh. and, um, you know, it is one of my favorite things to do, as all of my things I do are favorite, but, um, it is generally... really interesting to see um, the backside of the galleries and the art fairs and the art studios and it is to be aware of the commerce of the whole art business in a particular way uh what is actually getting sold because things can look expensive and, and like they're making a lot of money but it's what is actually going out the door what's actually leaving the loading dock of the art fair and actually going to a collector rather than going back to the gallery of the artist um and so that's kind of an interesting part of that uh, is that level of commerce and understanding that commerce so here I am um, engaged in some of that those activities by um, doing a lot of a lot of glass stuff lately i Took a studio space in San Francisco, so that's kind of a big, exciting development. I'm not totally puts a lot of puts a lot of weight on I me. Mean, I'm not totally convinced it's a good idea, but um, it kind of seemed like a natural part of the progression of being in the Bay Area is also to have a studio. Um, I use my house as studio, and it kind of works. But at some point, I have to actually live in my house space. Um, so, I think really what I'd like to do is set up in my art studio, have some art things that are like... Because i do not really making the art. Most of my art is made often in another... Well, the, the components are made in a different fabrication studio. Like in a glass studio, I might make the component Somewhere else I might weld a thing. And then... Um, And then um, have like a display space of my art, place where I mock it up. I am going to do some painting there, so there'll be some painting. So there will be some art making in that way. And then I think I might actually set up my tattoo equipment there. I realize maybe I don't want it in my house, and I can put it into my art studio, which would make it harder to do late night secret tattoos, but maybe it's better to have it in a space that I have to go to to give a tattoo and that's a whole last thing um so we'll see about that, that and the bike bike stuff um so bring some bites there and have some bike related activities happening there everybody those bike related activities um okay bike related activities that's actually the whole reason I was um wanting to record this episode today um is bike related activities Uh brake systems, cable pole brake systems, cable brake systems on bicycles. Um, this is just a fascinating, fascinating system um, where uh, using the cable in conjunction the housing that the cable's in um to pull on the brakes and apply the brake shoes to either side of the rim of the bike and it can equal even pressure is um It's a fascinating system. So the U-brakes... Letter U. U U-brake. hyphen U-brakes are kind of like... Those were very common. I mean, now there's hydraulic brake systems. uh, A lot of disc brakes and a lot of hydraulic brake systems... um, Are mostly what's being sold new now. In the stores. But still... A lot of the bikes on the str- on the road have um, these old brake systems, and still a lot of this system is still very functional today. Um, hydraulic brake systems work on pushing a liquid through a tube and applying pressure using that liquid. The property of liquid being that it won't compress, so you can push on liquid from one side, and it'll push on the liquid over on the other side. Um, uh, The cable pole systems, um, it is, it's a a tension system, but there is the part of the compression is um, the housing is holds its rigidity, so it's pushing against, the housing's pushing against while the cable's pulling. So one is pushing, the other pulling. And then the final resistance is in the actual brake lever. And so what moves, so the part that moves is the brake lever. Um, the brake arm, the brake shoe. I guess the brake lever is what you're pulling on, and then the brake shoe is what uh, moves onto the rim. So um there's the U brakes which are shaped like a U and it is two arms and at the center of the U there is a pivot point for either side of the U um, two in so the points of the U are then where the shoes are and that is what squeezes on the rim of the wheel on the V brake systems it is um They could have called them an H-brake because they're not exactly a V-brake. I get it because they're like V's because they have straighter arms but they have like a, a kind of a straight part in between them. So it's like straight arms and then you got a little noodle um, this little aluminum tube that goes in there and that then uh helps to equally pull on either side. The V-brakes were like an innovation and they were a shift over from the U-brakes. I don't know if they're like... I feel like with that noodle and the little like pulley system in between them, not necessarily superior. Um, Another superior system, in my opinion, is the cantilever brake. Um, And the cantilever brake is similar in the V brake um in its technical in the way that it pulls but the V is like a long generally a long arm and the and the cantilever brakes are like these smaller, more compact little levers. They actually kind of look like V's but the V's pointing the V is where the shoe is pointing at the rim. Um just to keep it nice and confusing, there. And the cantilever brake systems were, I don't know if they really invented, but they became popular in the 80s on steel frame touring bikes, um, a lot of which were being built in Japan. And those are really like that, in a lot of ways, is like kind of the peak of like the standard bicycle system, um, was these cantilever touring brakes and the touring bikes that were being built at that time um their the frames are generally lightweight steel so thin steel tubes steel being maybe slightly superior because of its rigidity and its flexibility um that it has a certain amount of flexibility it's going to it can take can take a certain amount of impact it's rigid enough so it's strong but it has a little bit of flexibility um it's not as springy as carbon fiber it's not as light as carbon fiber but it doesn't get if it you can bend it back if it gets dented and it doesn't just self-destruct like carbon fiber and aluminum also which is lighter once it gets dented or bent you can't really put it back in place um so in a lot of ways these kind of steel frames in this moment of of brazed steel steel frames they were the tubes were brazed together um brazing which is like a brass glue a hot metal glue um and they put them together with um tubes that the, like the, the, the main tubes of the bicycle um, the seat tube yeah. and the top tube meet at a moment where they meet there's a component that sleeves that is the the socket that they sleeve into and then there's a, a brazing torch applied to there and a brazing bronze or brass or copper or silver that is used to then essentially glue those components together and uh, so supposedly that system is somewhat superior supposedly so um Those... And on that... Within that system then was... The cantilever brakes were popularized. And those cantilever brakes have a... Their center pole... And they have a... A small straddle cable that goes between them. Like an 8 or 12 inch cable that goes between them. You pull from the center of that cable. And that pulls the brakes evenly. And on the U-brakes... Um, there is also let's see, they also have some of them have a straddle cable and some are side pole, um, and they have that pivot point on the center of the U that shifts the points of the U in that pivot point then becomes the bearing surface that they need to pivot equally off of and so I think the one downfall with those U-brake systems is that that bearing surface needs to be properly lubricated um, and fixed tightened up but not too tight so it's used they use a lock nut system on that to hold it in place and there is a spring in there and you're kind of relying on the tensions of the spring and the looseness of that bearing to to allow it to equally pull on either side where the cantilever system and the V-brake system creates these two independent arms that then you could tension independently Uh, and so you could get a more perfect pull off the brakes. The cantilever system, because of that straddle cable pull, Really makes it possible to make a very even pull in between, but the V brake because of that little noodle it is a little bit harder to make it actually have an equal pull on either side. Um, but we'll get we can get deeper into that. Um, so. cable pull system. The cable pull part is that there is a cable that has cylindrical ends on the cable. Um, It was, and I think sometimes so, is lead that is poured around the steel cable. It's a standard twisted cable and then has these little ends that are melted onto it that kind of become the stop. Um, And so those little cylindrical ends are where you're pulling from on the cable from either side. And oftentimes it is the lever side that the cylindrical end goes into. And then the other side, you might use a um, a nut to tighten onto, to create a tension point on that, to have like to fix that moment um, where you're pulling from. Like on the cantilever brake, the little straddle cable has a center pulley, and that pulley has a little nut, a set screw system on it that um, is where you sleeve it over the cable, tighten the set screw so that you're pulling from that pulley directly. Um, So if you were to just pull the lever of the brake, and you had, and the brake was right there um, in direct line with that lever, and um, there was no bearing surfaces to get around it on a fixed point. Like, if your brakes somehow were on the handlebar, you wouldn't even need the housing, you just you could just pull on that lever and the brakes would be, you know, a couple inches from the lever, and you pull on the lever, and the brake would move when you pull the lever. But, what is happening on the bicycle um, is that the handlebars are rotating, and now the, the front handlebars are going to be rotating the same Direction and the same time as the front wheel, handlebars, and the wheel are lined up. But in the rear, they're not. So essentially, the 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 lever will be moving in relation to the rear, and then directionally for the front wheel, the handlebars. you know there's kind of a drop and depending on um, the handlebar what kind of handlebars or the position of the handlebars you might actually the lever might be a further away or different place so the housing enables that lever to be a little distance from it and be adjustable like where that's going to sit because the housing is a wrapped steel sleeve, it's like, a, um, it's a flat piece of metal that's wrapped around a center and, um, so that it is flexible, but it's also rigid in its dimension. Um, So that um, as you pull on the lever, that housing offers a certain amount of resistance. Okay, i will have to excuse me after. Go pick up this art project. Okay, I'm back in the vehicle driving now. I'm actually driving to Palo Alto now. It's a different day than it was a couple minutes ago. Um, For you. For me. Not for you. For you, it's the same. Same day. Same nap. You're still asleep. I'm still talking. Let me see if I can rescue this. This is getting really, really confusing. And I think uh, it's exactly what I signed up for, was to be able to try to describe in detail very difficult technical things. It would be a lot easier to just show you in with a diagram or with the actual object. But um, I think the whole purpose of teaching and learning and the object of the exercise here is to be able to intimately describe in detail, three-dimensional objects, and help you visualize them. Um, but maybe it's a fool's errand. I am a visual person, and <clears throat> if you're a visual person, then great, you're going to totally be able to pay attention to this. And if not, this is just a lot of gobbledygook and very confusing. I think one of the words I was missing earlier was axis, the axis of rotation. So the front brake lever is going to be moving on the same axis as the front brake. Um, The rear brake level will be moving on an independent axis from, on a separate axis, from the rear brake um, because of the head tube and the bike being able to turn. So this is where the housing, or if you're using hydraulic brakes, the hydraulic tube would become integral. The housing is a flexible um, but, n- but offers resistance in its compressive force. So it can move, but it can't be compressed. So that compression, the lack of compressed compression, uh, is what enables the lever to be pulled. Because if you just use a series of pulleys to get from point A to point B, the pulleys would move if the, uh, if the objects are not on the same axis. Uh, I think that's still really confusing, right? Um, So let's see if we can describe this housing a little closer because the housing is so interesting and so confusing. Um, The the brake housing is a tube plastic tube on the inside. Um, now imagine, let's imagine a straw. We have a straw. Um, and then we have a fettuccine noodle. Okay? So you're gonna take that fettuccine noodle and you're gonna wrap it around the outside of the straw. So it creates an even layer of noodle around the outside of the straw. And so you're going to wrap it where the wide part is facing against the straw, because that's the the way it will naturally want to wrap. And then you're going to fit it against itself, so there's no air gap. So it's tight against itself. Um, And so that's the way that the steel, the spring steel, is wrapped around the outside of the center noodle the center tube straw, sorry, let's use the straw um, of the housing. There's another layer on the outside of rubber, a protective rubber on the outside. Um, and now the derailleur cables often use a different stranded system, so it's many strands on the outside going in line with the center straw tube. But the brake housing um, is generally has this um, wrapped fettuccine steel wrapping on the outside, so that steel then is able to flex because there's there's space in between this ribbon that goes around the outside but it is unable to compress because all the sides are touching and pushing against each other so it is um, therefore rigid under compression um, so that you can pull the cable in the middle by holding either end, you can pull the cable down the middle, and the cable will pull from the other side with an equal force. Um, So, housing. That's the housing. Is that clear enough? Um, So when you cut the housing, uh, there's a couple different ways to cut it. There's Different kinds of cutters. The way I've found to cut the housing that's most best is the, there's a certain kind of nipper that kind of like closes around it rather than a squeezy nipper but, like, kind of closes into an orifice, those are the best because it kind of grabs it and, and doesn't distort it. You're always going to distort it a little bit when you cut it. Um, probably the best way to cut it would be on a bandsaw or a chop saw, or some sort of saw blade that was cutting. But generally, in a bike shop kind of situation, you're not having access, maybe, to that kind of tool. Uh, and so... I've found cutting the housing um, is best to cut it with really whatever kind of nippers can cut it, what kind of pliers or nippers you can cut it, and then using a grinder, like a bench grinder, to grind it and remove that weird little part of that fettuccine noodle that's on the outside. and it's going to like kind of be bent off a little bit as you cut it, and so that part just grind that back so its face is flush. Um, you can cut it with a hacksaw. You can uh, also use a file. I've often used a file to do what the bench grinder would do. The bench grinders are just so fast, and it's really it's very efficient. Right? It's not not as common of a technique, but, um, I found it works really, really well, and, um, makes the cleanest end. Um, and you can kind of cut it with whatever you cut it and then grind it. So you can also cut it and then file it with a file, which is a little trickier to hold it and not file your fingers off. Um, but that's kind of just in technique and holding it against something. So then you've got the housing end cleaned up. And then you have a little ferrule, like a tube, a steel tube that goes over the top of it that kind of keeps that contained and clean and also helps in that compression. Um, And those ferrules then sometimes fit inside of little spots on the bike. Uh, because there's housing cable guides (laughs) and cable stops, um, on bikes. And they all have kind of different configurations. Sometimes with the front brake, you're just going to run the housing straight from the lever right to the brake, to the U-brake or V-brake, um, and you're gonna just have it right there. Sometimes, especially with the center pole, you might run the housing just to the middle of the handlebars to the stem, and then have it dropped out through the stem or from underneath the stem into the center pole of a brake. A cantilever brake system will often use this because you really are pulling right directly from above the the tire from like below, right below the stem. So you're just kind of pulling directionally in a great way. So there's some really, uh, one of my favorite kind of stems is the stem that has the housing stop inside the stem right by the head tube. Um, and so you can just put from the lever, just put a little piece of housing over to the stem and then drop your cable through the stem and then your center pulling right there. Um, some of the housing stops, some of the the K, the housing stops, um, will fit the ferrule. Sometimes they don't fit the ferrule, and you're just putting the housing into um that. That's not a super standard system. So, and and some of the ferrules fit better, and some don't. There's plastic ones also that um sometimes are a little like maybe they last a little longer but then they, they, they're they thicker so they don't fit them all, some of the metal ones fit differently um, there's older ones that are like a thicker steel that are you know, maybe a little better and stronger but then they don't fit in some of them some of them have a little tube end sticking out and that tube end then locks into another Different kind of housing stop. Uh, there are definitely a lot of different ones, so be confused about that, and it not quite fitting is definitely par for the course. Uh, and so that's that's okay. It's okay to be confused because the stuff is confusing. Uh, you know, it's weird. It's like this standard system that was kind of designed in the late eighteen hundreds that the. Um, for the bite cycle, and um, a lot of these systems were kind of standardized, but still had their own like unique characteristics. And some are company specific, and and some are style specific. And there have been lots of alterations over the years. So. Um, you know, just finding your way, uh, when I, if I'm working on bikes, I'll often just buy, like, a roll of 20 feet or 50 feet or something of housing, um, knowing that I'm going to have to mess with it and alter it and, um, you know, change it out multiple times, and sometimes um, you can get it on the first try with your housing to the cable and all the route and everything, and then sometimes it isn't quite right. Sometimes you find a bike, you get a bike, and you try to replicate the housing and cable run, and you realize it's wrong, and maybe somebody else had done it wrong, or maybe the original manufacturer style was not as efficient as a newer way to route the cable. Um, There's all sorts of unique kind of ways that people will alter things and create ways for the cable to run. Um, Because you can use the frame itself without housing to run the cable because the frame itself is rigid, so you can have a housing stop like on the top tube. You can have a, a housing stop right behind the head tube on the top tube that goes over above the seat tube or onto the seat stays and you can run the cable straight over there maybe even using a pulley um, within and then have a housing stop so you can have a minimal amount of housing sometimes you just run the housing the whole way maybe if you're running housing the whole way you're adding a little bit of weight but maybe that doesn't matter as much maybe you're getting it wet and muddy so that you're you're more excited about having um your housing seal your cable in i've pretty much switched to just using stainless steel cable um because of rust issues but that's also you know that depends on where you are with your bike and um how how you treat it, how wet you get it, and how you clean it and everything. Um, so I found that stainless steel is not that much more expensive. It's that much more long-lasting. Um, but I don't know, but as far as rigidity and like where how it wears against the set screws, there may be something different that happens there that I've not as aware of, um, and so maybe there is a reason that, um, not using stainless steel is a better idea. Who knows, you know, um, as long as you're riding a bike, um, that's the most important thing. Um, okay. So, okay, the, the levers, the levers on the bikes, there are, different kinds of levers because the amount of pull you're going to need for the cantilever versus the U-brake is different and so generally the levers are going to be, they're going to look the same and act the same but the amount of pull is I believe you need more pull for the cantilever so the U-brakes um is that right and because then the u-brakes um need less pull it's a different lever system so you can't be using the same the levers look like they're interchangeable the little the cables all kind of are interchangeable but it's not actually interchangeable um but you can make it um you can fudge around it um and there's ways to make, let's see, because if it's a longer pull um, for the cantilever, then you can use the U-brake, but you can't go the other way. You can't use the cantilever on the U-brakes. Um, so... U-brakes, oftentimes, um, for a long time, a lot of the systems were these pressed brakes. So it's a single object that's pressed, um, steel or aluminum. Um, The kind of cheaper variety are these, um, you know, really like standard on the old Schwinn's. Uh, pressed aluminum brakes and those were a fairly standard system um but not great but not bad you know it kind of like it works um and it's great that there's been improvements um on that system, but for a long time, um, it was just kind of a universal system so um those press brakes often like I feel like the aluminum were like a little higher quality. then there was like the even cheaper version that were steel that would just essentially they would bend more and so they would wear a little a little more um, and then. The jump up into the cantilever cantilever system um, made for lots more um, better systems. But still, a lot of road bikes would use that used brake system. Like the the Shimano 600s were like a really good version of that, where they're like a tight little system. They work good they don't bend all weird they it's a small amount of pull that makes it so it's like a little lever pull um and it grabs tight and works good the um aluminum wheels that started really kind of like in the 80s um made a huge change also. That was like a big difference uh, was the aluminum wheels made it so that the bikes were lighter, but also so that those U-brake systems could grab because the steel, the combination of the steel being grabbed by rubber and the rubber that was being used on the rims uh, was not as grabby like, the Schwinn style from those U-brakes, the Schwinn style, were essentially like a chrome steel wheel. Once it got wet, like, those brakes just didn't work. Uh, And then they would put a little, like, there was like a... a a little stippling, or like, they put little little holes, not quite holes, but little uh, dents into the rim that supposedly would make it for um a um, more grabbiness but it didn't really work that well. Um it just added just a tiny little bit more grab, but didn't really work that well. Um so then in the eighties and the nineties really the growth of the aluminum wheels with the cool stop um rubber uh, brake pads really started to make a difference in the grabbiness. Now the disc brakes and the growth of the disc brakes has also changed that, that that's removed all the wear off the rim and now the disc brake itself is just the grabby part and those are like super positive, really grab it, really stop it. Um, <clears throat> and have created other issues with torque on the wheel and the way that the rim and the hub and the wheel interact, but um, they've taken that wear off of the rim. So it used to be that you would have like kind of a certain amount of life to your rim because eventually you're going to wear it down by just rubbing your brake pad on the rim. And you want an aggressive brake pad that would grab, but you don't want too aggressive that you're going to wear down your rim. Um, aluminum tended to wear better um then um when the steel held up, but the aluminum tended to grab and um and they were so light, it makes such a difference having um aluminum wheels over steel wheels, but that's some old that's like that's an old man talking right there um. Because ain't nobody make no steel wheels no more. Um, they're a lot easier to true, to. Uh, steel wheels are <laughs> way easier to true. You can really just like kind of push them into place, too. Um, they've got a great flexibility to them. Um, okay, so... Um, brake pads, wheels, the rim... That system is um, it's a great system, right? Um, cantilever versus U-brake, and then the V-brake system, similar to the U-brake, except they're not a rigid system. They have an open center with the noodle. Um, Cantilever with the little saddle that goes in between them. Um those we kind of went over that little the the saddle being the, the, the piece of cable that goes in between the twelve inch, eight inch piece of cable that goes in between. Um the two cantilever brakes and then that distance um, between them somewhat being having to do with the leverage there and that also then created that moment of pull that's the reason the lever uh, needs to be have a little more throw in the lever Um, and a little longer essentially a longer pull for those cantilevers um, because of that saddle and the way that you're pulling on that but that positive action the cantilever having kind of a lever arm um, the way that those pulled um, creates a much more positive stopping force Uh, this was um used to be just more of like a touring bike like a you know specialized or track or um, and I can't remember the name of that bike but um, the the cantilever needs a special little braised on. It's gonna be a um, a socket that it's gonna be a threaded insert that we brazed on or brazed into the forks to create a. Um, a place that you can mount your cantilever brakes um and that those braised on cantilever mounts are or were um a higher quality fork and those often would come on a touring bike that you might also have brazed on mounts for multiple, for racks and different systems um, that might be able to hold different kind of bags and touring mount racks and such. Uh, Okay. So those are now a little bit more standard on bikes. If you're going to get a rim brake, it's probably going to be a cantilever. And if you're going to get a road bike, that's not a fancy if you're going to get it i guess what do they call them the there's the randonneur or like a gravel bike like you might have like if you're getting a really like a very road specific bike you're probably not going to have any of these ferrules on there it's going to be carbon fiber and it's going to be it's going to be a U brake because it's just it's tiny um and you don't want to have these braze drawn things on the forks, and your carbon fiber forks can't handle those, the cantilever. Which is another reason why the uh, disc brakes are great, because then you don't have to have all that torque onto the fork. Uh, okay, so cable into the housing. You're going to want to lubricate with some sort of, just an oil or a silicone-based lubricant is great inside there, but some sort of lubricant inside that housing um, for your cable to move even, because your cable moving inside that housing is crucial. Um, and generally not a sharp, corner like having a little more housing when you're taking a corner is better than having it be super sharp and like shoving it into a place because that will create some more friction so if, the, if it's maybe making a larger loop coming off your handlebar will be a better system than having it take a sharp corner over your stem or over the handlebars um lubricating it well cleaning up those ends grinding off the ends of the housing so that it's clean using the ferrules or figuring out whether the stops work well um, and so that you have a good efficient system and then the cable stainless steel cable run through there And then you get it out to the set screw. And the tricky part of these set screws is that, like, you might, you're going to, once you put that set screw on it, you're going to crimp the cable, like, in a certain place. And then the next step is to cut the end of the cable off, like, two inches from that set screw, or an inch or three inches from that set screw, and then put a little aluminum cable end. You can put these little caps on it that you then crimp on. Uh, Once you've kind of done that, it's hard to go back from that, that if you need to reset your cable, make it longer or shorter, um, oftentimes you just need to use a new cable now. You can't, it's like once you've crimped that, it's harder to get it, get back from that. Sometimes it's possible to reset it or to pull it back through the housing or to do something, but sometimes you might... Run that and realize that you needed to change the housing or change the setup, you might lose a cable. And it's kind of a bummer because the cables are a fixed leg and one side has the little cable end, the the poured lead end um, or aluminum end. But that's just the that's the nature of it. Um, that you can't. There's not much you can do about it. Um, that it's uh, once you've crimped it it's kind of crimped so in um, that way knowing your root of your cable and knowing you've got it in the right place and put it in there double checking it before you're ready to crimp it down um, is always a good idea so well lubricated on the cable in the housing finding the proper route putting all the right ferrules on there and the little cable stops because then once you've kind of got that whole system built then you're going to tighten down on one side on to like if you're doing a side pull on the u-brake you're going to crimp down onto one part of the u-brake or if you're doing a if you got the noodle you got the little allen key set screw jammer it's a little arm that clamps over the cable and onto one side of the v-brake or if you're doing the cantilever then you've got you're running it into your center pulley Um, and it's either the little saddle like it's a little aluminum um slidey holder thing. It's just aluminum um, folded piece of aluminum that the, key, the sl- saddle slides over. Or, one of my favorites, it's like this rare little object. is like a tiny little pulley um, on a little aluminum housing. There's a couple different versions of those. There was pulleys or I think there was one that had a fixed. There's even one that had that wasn't a pulley. It just had two different pieces of cable. That was like really fancy in the nineties. Um, and so your weird little fancy saddle cable jammer in the center there is going to have a set screw. That's going to be where you go to. And that's gonna always be, I feel like with brakes, just like bearings, like, there's always a little bit of, like, fidgeting that happens there. Um, one of my tricks I'll use to get the brake system tight is on the lever, on the little lever on the handlebars that you're gonna pull to pull the brakes. There is often a, um, A cable like an adjustment tension adjustment so it's a it's a ferrule like it's got it's a threaded ferrule that you can tension the cable and so what I'll do is actually create some tension back it out so it's creating some tension so that when you so you can loosen it up and relax it so create some tension on that system and then you can pull the whole brake system tight against the rims so that actually your brakes are, like, super positive when, like, you, you when you're done tightening your brake system, your brakes are actually, like, totally applied. And then you back out that um, tension felt to release some of that tension so that then um, your brakes are... Set correctly. Um, So, I feel like I also am like remembering, (laughs) my brakes are always like way too tight, so maybe that's not the best way to do it. I love some tight brakes, wow just, you know, just ready to fucking brake, um, I feel like over the years I've had to, like, figure out how to not make my brakes so tight, and I think that comes back to all the years working on those Schwinn bikes, that, um those bikes like, you want as much tension as you can have uh, and then, like, running cantilever systems, all of a sudden it was like not, I, I didn't need to have my brakes super tight, but Um, I was just in that, in that style of just always over-tightening my brakes. So, tighten the shit out of your brakes, um, and then use the cable tensioner to release some of that tension at the end, once you've got the whole system on there. Um, and then you can use that cable tensioner if you need to, to then, um, as your cable stretches to pull some of the tension back out Um, so I feel like that covers a lot of the a lot of the parts of the brakes it's very confusing, it's very confusing stuff of course it's always going to be helpful to Get your hands on the object. Do it a bunch of times. Try many different configurations, um, different bikes. Try it again and again. You know, um, and, and and don't be frustrated because it didn't work, or you know, and because it doesn't always work. Um, and so, trying again and again, and doing different um, configurations, and. You know, again, if you meet that grumpy person at the bike shop, it's not the right person uh, for you. You know, um, if they're not being helpful to you in your bike journey, they're just they're just getting in your way. You know, because um, everybody had to learn this shit, and everyone um, had to like figure out that it's all really confusing and difficult, and it's a very like fine art. Of tensioning your brakes and building a brake system that works correctly, and there's a bunch of different parts and there's a bunch of different ways it can go. Uh, and there's no right way, there's a lot of just different ways and a lot of preferences. Um, but finding a way that works for you and knowing that if you use your bike a lot and you use your brakes a lot, as you should, that it will get out of tension and you'll need to reset it often, and readjust it, and sometimes I think, um, I think that's part of why I've often over-tensioned my brakes, is just to, like, give myself that extra gap between the next time I need to, um, tension my brakes, um, So, but maybe you'll find that having your brakes way too tense is just too, you know, anxiety-inducing. And you're going to want to loosen them up and have more play, and you find just where you want that lever to be, where it's comfortable with your hands. Um, Lever position in relation to the handlebar. It's like a whole ass thing. Like, you can ask the internet about that. It's been years just getting told by a bunch of grumpy dudes, like, just how where you should have your brake lever. Um, And, you know, the truth is, the only person that can tell you where you should have your brake lever is you. uh, Right where you want it. Um, Do you like your brake lever right there? Well, then you should have it there. Do you want it, like know straight down to the ground or pointing straight out or a slight angle like how do you ride your bike Um, so there's all sorts of ways you could do it there's a really great system um, that I really love Um, on a road bike like what was referred to as like a 10 speed like a 10 speed handlebar so the drop bar so you take these drop bars and you uh the the term that we use to refer to them is as bum bar so if you're going to bum bar your bike you take your drop bars and you turn them and this is like on that schwinn style that has um big long throw stretchy cables lots of housing You take your bars and you turn them, you rotate them upside down. So now those handlebars are kind of, instead of curving down and back, they're curving up and away from you. So they're pointing out. So now you've elevated that. So you've taken the crouched over like efficient stance of a road bike and turned it into more of like a sit-up cruising bike with handlebars that are now elevated and then those handlebars that you used to, the sorry, the brake levers that you used to have to reach down and pull up to stop your bicycle, now they are facing you so as you lean forward um, it stops your bike and this system, this is like a really common way to like, you know, old timer on <laughs> a ten speed like bike, um, is to to turn these end bars. It's like a really it's like a common modification that is like makes it in some ways more inefficient, less like what is originally intended to do, um, and. But the modification is totally appropriate for uh, for the people that use it, and the way that it works is actually better for that system. Like if you want to have, if you don't want to ride a ten speed bike, you got to lean way over in the handlebars and shove that seat up your butt, and you want to sit up, um, and then your brake levers then are facing towards you. Rather than having to pull and use all that tension in your hand, you just lean forward. And your weight helps you stop it. It's like a way more efficient system and way better for that style of riding. So those kind of modifications are the kind of modifications that are so interesting and exciting because they're really not what the original manufacturer intended. They do not make it more efficient in a way that it like goes faster and like rides better and that like grumpy by the guy at the bike shop likes but they are in fact better for the end user and the end user has found that bum bars are a better way to have your bicycle and, um, so there are going to be modifications that you might find that you enjoy more and that you like better and that, that is totally okay um, in fact it's great um so finding your way uh, on those um, on those systems is um it's always encouraged you know the safety bicycle was invented in like you know the 1890s and there was a bunch of different forms of this bicycle and um, this one became the system that we used uh, it's not necessarily the perfect system it's not necessarily great for everyone there's lots of alterations um, that could come and there's lots of ways that it could be better for especially different body types um, taller or shorter or smaller or um, different leg configurations and different ways that people's backs and shoulders work, and um, dealing with different like pain and things like that. Like the seat, it's kind of weird to be having the seat the way it is. You know, there's lots of ways that that could be better. Like, uh, um, you know, um, a recumbent bike, the kind that you recline on. Like they have like a lot more efficiencies in the way that they use the body um, in propelling but you know part of it is that it like takes you know a while to learn how to use bikes and once you learn how to use the safety bicycle and really use it well then you get really used to it and your body gets used to it and then it becomes a really good system because your body is kind of like built around that system in a lot of ways that's why that bike has existed and pushed on it's it's pretty good and the people that use it have used it a lot so their bodies are really used to it and so they think it's the best system Um, but in fact they've just trained their bodies onto that system so there are things about it that are inefficient and there are things about it there's a lot of dudes out there that think it's just right uh, so don't believe those dudes they're tripping um, make it do what you want to do um, so you know gag your brake levers and your cables and your housing and your 10 millimeter wrench and your allen key and um, do some adjustments on your brakes uh, on your old timey bicycle uh, and maybe we'll get to um, hydraulics and derailleur systems We could really go off on derailleurs and all the different kind of derailleurs and the way that you might want to shift your bikes in the, main, the way you might not want to shift your bikes or fixed gear bicycles and all the grumpy boys that ride fixed gears uh, so thanks for listening Um, I'm going to finish up my cute little drive here into Palo Alto just heading into um, Menlo Park here coming into this beautiful marsh off the Dumbarton Bridge a lot of egrets and uh, water birds fucking ducks and shit all sorts of, like, great old systems here, um, where they used to, must have had, like, some amazing manufacturing, and shipping, and trains, and all this stuff, and now they don't have as much of that industry here, and all sorts of critters are just running around. Um, very beautiful. Old industrial collapse, supported now by brand new tech. Um, the American way. Well, um, Thanks for listening. I love you lots. Uh, it's great to great to connect with you. So uh, we'll talk to you soon, right? Okay, bye for now. This is the end of the message.